following is a podcast from Sozo, a student ministry at Victory Family Church. We meet every Wednesday from 6.30 to 8.30. For more info, check us out on Instagram at SozoYTH. Hey, guys. Awesome. Okay, it's okay. <clears throat> Y'all are the splash zone, so this is going to be fun. Uh, get your ponchos out. Ready to roll. Awesome. Well, let me get myself situated and then crack my water open and then we'll be we'll be good to go. Y'all good? Cool. I have this thing where when I talk about Jesus, I get like a really dry mouth. And so y'all just hang with me. Um, but man, I am I'm super pumped just to get to really communicate um, tonight. I have a message on my heart that really has been not just for, even for this time, but really it's something that's defined my life. Um, it's something that's really shaped everything that I do, the way that I do ministry, the way that I see God, um, really the way that I function in life. But before I go into this meet, man, I have to do something because I wouldn't, I wouldn't get to be here and do what I get to do, man, without Ben Archer. Ben Archer, where you at, bro? Hey, can we celebrate an amazing man of God? Dude, I love you. Uh, I don't know if you guys know this. I get to actually work here. Um, and so, man, I get to live a little across the way from, from Ben uh, and Kendall on a weekly basis. And, man, we have a lot of fun. But, man, y'all have incredible pastors, um, really, that, that, are, that are running this thing, that are pioneering this thing. Um, ben and Alyssa are incredible. Um, and I love you guys and so thankful for them. If you guys didn't know, like, this is their heart. When I moved to Pennsylvania, um, they let me crash in their basement for a month. That's not normal. Like, people don't do that. Um, and so they are incredible people, so genuine. Uh, can we give it up for them just one more time? Celebrate Ben and Alyssa. Love you guys. Love you guys. So here's what's going to happen is uh, I'm going to talk for another 13 minutes in Jesus' name. Um, and then uh, we're going to go back into worship, go into small groups uh, for a quick minute. And then we're going to play some dodgeball. Who's ready for dodgeball? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Cool. Um, so, man, I'm pretty, I'm pretty excited. But, man, let's just go ahead and hop into it. We're going to hop into Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 26. If you got a Bible or if it glows up, man, I'd love for you to go there. I'm going to be reading through a whole story. So it's a fat text of scripture, um, and it's going to be on the screen if you don't have it. Y'all ready? I'm ready. Let's do it. Let's do it. Starting in verse 26, it says, As soon as they stepped ashore on the eastern side of the lake in the land of some G word, the disciples were confronted by a demon-possessed madman from a nearby town. Many times he had been put under guard and bound with chains, but repeatedly the, the many demons inside of him had thrown him into convulsions, breaking his shackles and driving him out of the town into the countryside. He had been demonized for a long time and was living naked in the cemetery among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet and screamed, What are you doing here? You are Jesus, the Son of the Most High God. Jesus commanded the demons to come out, and they shouted, we beg you, don't torture us. Who knows that when Jesus shows up on the scene, even demons have to beg for mercy. Oh, come on, that's an amen moment. Yeah, I like, I like, I like work, like, we're on the same floor here. We, this is going to be a conversation. I know our society likes to talk a lot about, man, I got my demons in my closet, right? Anyone ever heard that? Oh, it's just me and my demons right now. Man, demons are scared of Jesus. Get Jesus, don't get demons. I'm tired of that junk. 
They begged, they said, don't torture us. Jesus asked the man, he said, what's your name? Mob, the demons answered, for there are mob, there are many of us in this man. But we beg you, don't banish us to the bottomless pit of the abyss. On the hillside nearby, there was a large herd of pigs, and the demons pled with Jesus, let us enter into the pigs. So Jesus ordered the mama demons to come out of the man and into the pigs. The crazed herd of swine stampeded over the cliff and into the lake, and all of them drowned. What a sad waste of bacon. That's not in there. Uh, amen, that's right. When the herders tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran in fear and reported it to the nearby town throughout the countryside. Because when Jesus shows up and changes things, people, they got to come by. Um, and it says that in the next verse, it says, they came from all around the region for themselves to see what had happened. When they came to where Jesus was, they discovered the notorious madman totally set free. Come on, somebody. He was clothed, speaking intelligently, and sitting at the feet of Jesus. They were shocked. Come on, that's crazy. I'm talking about someone was crazy and all of a sudden they're just like, what's up? Sitting there all normal. So as the eyewitnesses to the miracle reported all that happened and what they had seen, the demonized man was completely delivered from his torment. After hearing about such amazing power, the townspeople became frightened. And soon all the people of the region of that G word that I don't know how to say, and the surrounding country begged Jesus to leave them for they were gripped with fear. So Jesus got into the boat, attending to return to Galilee, which is where he came from. And uh, it says, but the man who had been set free begged Jesus over and over not to leave. He said, let me be with you. But Jesus sent him away with these instructions. He says, return to your home and to your family. Tell them all of the wonderful things God has done for you. So the man went away and preached. Come on. He went and preached to everyone who would listen about the amazing miracle Jesus had worked in his life. Would y'all pray with me real quick? Father, we just come to you tonight and... I pray in the next couple minutes um, that you would move and do what only you can do. God, that you would break through. God, that you would bring life. And Lord, I just even just take even now to just remind all of us, God, that this is, this is all about you, Jesus. Every bit of it. From the top to the bottom. Small groups, dodgeball, service, all of it is for you, God. We love you. In Jesus' name. And everyone said? Hey, that was a good one. I didn't have to ask twice. That's good. Man, y'all ever um, had an awkward transaction before? You ever been to the store and it just gets weird? Um, so when I was like nine, I, uh, my uncle sent me inside the gas station because everyone's got a weird uncle. And he sent a nine-year-old in a gas station to go pay for gas. What I did not know is that this man sent me in a gas station to pay cash for gas that he was already pumping, which I didn't know was an option, but it was. So he was already pumping it. So he sent me with a $10 bill, and this man's trying to be accurate, trying to get it right on $10. He goes, 1001. I don't know this. I'm a nice, short little kid with long hair. I have a $10 bill, right? And I don't know that it's 1001. So she looks at me and she says, One more penny. Well, the only words I heard was one and penny. So I'm like, Cool. He got it so close. And like, almost there, $9.99. So I'm standing there awkward, like, Is this, when's she gonna give me the penny? And the receipt, and she's staring at me, and I'm staring at her, and I could use Ben's line, but I can't talk that fast, and um, y'all know what I'm talking about. Look at her, look at me, look at blah, 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 all that fun stuff. Anyway, he said it six times a day. Love you, bro. Um, but so we're having this moment. My uncle comes running in with, like, a penny, and I'm like, what you doing? And he's, like, makes awkward eye contact. Apparently, they're both single at the time, and 
they're like making hard eye contact, and I'm like, oh, this is just mad weird. So he doesn't even hand me the penny, which is, this is my transaction. This is my moment to do this. He hands her the penny and winks, and then we leave. And I was like, man, what is that? Right? But in an exchange, what happens is that I give you something that I once had so that I can have something that now you once had. Does that make sense? This is, this is what an exchange is. So, like, if I'm trading shoes, because I'm all about some sneakers, and if I got some Jordan 1s and I'm trying to trade for some Yeezys, if I give the man Jordans, I get Yeezys, but that means I don't have Jordans, right? That, like, this is, this is what a transaction is. This is what an exchange is. I really want to talk just real quickly about this idea called the great exchange. The great exchange was the moment where Jesus died to take your place and my place. But the truth is actually found in the fact that he didn't just take our place on the cross. We get to take his place in life. Oh, that's good. So here's what happens. This demonized man, he got the first half of the exchange. Let me make this a little bit more clear. In the last verses... This is what happens. Normally when Jesus performs a miracle, right, there's, there's some sort of command following up, right? Hey, you're healed, now go and sin no more and don't tell nobody. Because he says that a lot and then the Bible always says I went and told somebody. But not always do we get a follow-up statement, but very rarely do we get a statement where they actually did what they were told to do. It says this in the last verse. I don't know if they'll throw it up. Just listen to me. Jesus tells him, he says, return to your home and to your family and tell them all the wonderful things God has done for you. So the man went away and he preached to everyone who would listen. That means for the rest of this man's life, because the Bible doesn't exaggerate, the Bible doesn't lie. I, I really do believe this man, went, wherever he went, he was telling people about Jesus, right? Well, I fast forward into this man's future about two years, and he's walking around. Man, have you heard about Jesus? Have you heard about Jesus? Did you, did you hear what Jesus did in my life? But there comes a moment where he meets someone who has heard about Jesus. But if you know how the Bible works, right, Jesus... Dies and um, spoiler alert, in case you haven't got there yet, he comes back. It's fine. We win. It's whatever. But what <laughs> what happens is that that Jesus dies, and so I imagine that someone responded and said, "You mean you mean the Jesus that was talking crazy? You mean the Jesus that was chained? You mean the Jesus that was beaten and broken and bloody and nothing? You mean the Jesus that was that was lying and the Jesus that they crucified and ended up in the tombs?" And this man goes, "What?" Like, there's only one dude named Jesus, but, like, he doesn't, this shouldn't be, how, this isn't how the story should, should end. He saved my life. And I feel like this man, he sits down one day. He contemplates. He goes, what, how does this, how does this work? And he has a moment of revelation. If you don't know what the word revelation means, it's basically an aha moment. It's what the church uses to describe the moment that you realize that Jesus is real and alive and loves you like crazy. And um, I believe this man is sitting there and he has a revelation moment where the Holy Spirit speaks to his heart and he says, wait a second. I was speaking crazy. I was chained. I was naked and isolated and had been cast out of the town and I had been rejected by everyone and I should have been dead, but now 
I'm alive and well, and Jesus was in chains. Jesus was broken. Jesus was beaten. He was considered to be talking crazy. He was the one that ended up in the tombs, and he has a moment that there was an exchange that took place, his life for mine. Not just a concept, not just an idea. They, they physically traded places. The reality of who Jesus is is that he took our place so that we could take his. And I know if you're in a Christian, if you're a, you consider yourself a Christian, you're in this room right now, you're like, okay, Andrew, that's, that's the gospel. I get that. I understand this. Can we move past this Jesus thing? And I got to tell you, no. Because the Bible makes it very clear. It says, God made him, in 2 Corinthians, it says, God who made him who knew no sin to become sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. What happens is this great exchange takes place where he stepped into our death so that we could step into his power and his position and his authority and experience life and life forevermore. <laughs> See, this is for the lost person. This is for the Christian because if Jesus is able to overcome temptation, then if you stand in the shoes of Jesus because he stood in yours, you don't have to listen to the, level, to the devil anymore. You don't have to listen to the lies anymore. You don't have to be bound by the world around you because you already traded places. You can be free. But I want you to fully understand the place that he took for you. I don't know if anyone's ever broken down the crucifixion process. And the team, you guys, you guys can come out and make me feel real spiritual. Um, I don't know if anyone's broken down this, the crucifixion process, but basically what happened is Jesus was actually beaten up throughout the whole night. Punched in the jaw, like just like taking a beating. Beaten up the whole night. Wakes up, goes on trial. Has a whole nation that the week before they loved him, now they're crying out, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. This is the one man that has never deserved death, but yet he's the one man that's being shouted at from a whole nation saying, kill him aggressively because we want him to die. Like, it's insane what really took place. And so after a couple of conversations, they end up, he ends up going to be flogged. And I don't know if you guys know what, how flogging works in the context of ancient Roman culture, but what they would do is they would start out by kind of tenderizing the meat. They would take... Um, these like thin wooden poles and the best description I can think of is like you know how like a fishing pole like when you swing it real fast it makes that sound you know what I'm talking about okay so imagine like that but they don't have the rings on it so it's just that stick across your back 40 times as a warm-up then they go to what's called the cat of nine tails which they would use 39 times the reason why they would do 39 because 40 was enough to kill somebody so they deemed that 39 was as much as they could give without actually murdering someone. How the cat of nine tails works is that it's a whip that has nine individual strands at the end of it. At the end of these strands, there's pieces of metal, glass, nails, and hooks. I don't know if, if you know this, but your back muscles, they like work this way, right? They would actually strike this way to rip as much muscle as possible. So what happened is that they would actually rip flesh off into the point where his ribs were exposed. This is a king, guys. This is a man that had no reason to be here. 
but we actually do because the punishment of sin is it's torture and death and it's a price that has to be paid and I don't know if you know what sin is but sin is going in direct opposition of what's in the Bible and what the Bible says and something that separates you from God and breaks God's heart and that's only in the beginning because after they take the cat of nine tails and completely obliterate him he doesn't even look like a human anymore he's completely naked they take him to a back room they put a robe on him they put a crown of thorns in his head to the point where it actually pierces his skull and he should have had an aneurysm and he should have died there but he loved him too much to stop there and so he was sat there and he made fun of and once the robe and the blood tried they ripped it off you ever ripped off a band-aid and it hurts Imagine your whole back being exposed and they ripped it off. Then they put a 100-pound log on his back, tell him to walk a mile. And when he gets there, <clears throat> it's actually an ancient diagram. So they showed that there's a hole in between some of the bones in your wrist. They didn't actually put the nails here. They put them here, most people believe. And uh, the reason why is because it would rip through your hand. And so they would put it here. Um, they would put it in your feet. And how the cross works is once they nail you to it, they hoist you up. And you don't actually die from blood loss or from starvation. You die from suffocation. That's the method behind it. And most people actually would survive a couple days on the cross. And what you, what you would do is if you, if you sit like this for a while, you'll notice that you kind of get short of breath. Now with nail-pierced wrists and feet, this man had to push up. <sighs> every couple minutes and that's all I could do yanking through the pain of the cross just to breathe to process to love the people around him what why what happens next is he actually cries out with his last breath he says it is finished he draws his last breath but what I love is this it says to make sure that he was dead, they pierced his side because water and blood came out. This is actually a really interesting fact because medically speaking, that's evidence of a ruptured heart. He didn't die from suffocation. He died from a heartbreak. He took on the full weight of sin. He who knew no sin became sin that we, hold on right here, might become the righteousness of Christ. Jesus went through all that knowing that you might never even acknowledge it, accept it, or say thank you. 